This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Eddie DeBartolo, and you're listening to The Eye Test for Two with Clark Judge and Ira Kaufman. actually in it on the doorstep and that's former nfl official and supervisor of officiating art mcnally who this week was chosen as the class of 2022 contributor candidate now that doesn't mean of course that he's been elected to the hall it simply means he's been chosen for presentation for its 49 member board of selectors which will meet prior to super bowl 56 that's ira myself and 47 of our closest friends and it's there he and senior candidate Cliff Branch and coaching candidate Dick Vermeil, all for the class of 2022, must gain 80% of the vote to be enshrined. But all right, let's be honest. It's going to happen for all of them. Barring an upset, it's going to happen for all of them. I'm with you, Clark. My attitude is you can't substitute somebody if you don't really support that guy. So you got to respect the committee. He, Art McNally's going to get a bust. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, and as a member of the five-person contributor committee that chose our this past Tuesday. I was part of that process, and the vote went to the wire with three of, I think it was 11 candidates neck and neck to the finish. But when they tried to telephone Art Ara to notify him, they couldn't reach him. The first time I remember, they couldn't reach him. They couldn't find him. So they tried a couple of other numbers, and each time they did it rolled over to voicemail. And it wasn't until a couple hours later, at least two hours later, when they finally reached him, and he told David Baker, friend of the show, CEO and president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, he told him, it's a stunner. Well, I didn't think so much it was a stunner because he's so deserving, but here's why actually it is, because he's an official. There are 354 busts in Canton, Ira, but not one is for an on-field official. Now, the NBA, that they have 16 refs enshrined, and Major League Baseball has 10 umpires. And the NHL has 16 officials. But the Pro Football Hall, nope, doesn't have any. But that may change soon. And for that, I want to turn to today's guest, someone who next to Art and his family was one of the first to hear the news. And that's Fox officiating analyst, NFL's former head of officiating and longtime friend of Art McNally and of Ira and me, 
Mr. Mike Pereira, who joins us today from Los Angeles. And Mike, four years ago, when we spoke, you said it would be, quote unquote, criminal to shout out Art McNally from the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You know what? It took four years, but it sounds like someone finally listened to you. You know, um, I can only say this. I think it's something that you will never understand. I think you have, both of you have an idea. But yesterday was probably the most emotional day that officials around the country have had in a long time. Um, I don't think you realize what this means uh, for, for us, for us. And I say us because it is as if we got a bust just because we're <laughs> represented by art. Um, the disrespect that we have seemed to have gotten over time um, when it comes to the hall uh, is hurtful. And, and we, it makes you feel like you're, part of, you're not part of a game that quite frankly couldn't be played without us. And yesterday, just like, it was like a shotgun blast all around the country. And I swear to God, all the way down to youth officials um, for Art McNally to represent us. And he is the guy, he is the guy that is the one to represent us for him to not just get an award, not just get recognition, but to get a bust is just, it's, un, it's unbelievable. It's emotional. It's emotional for me. You know, I said yesterday, when you think about the impact that he had on the field, but most notably off the field, and the things that he did, which I thought Bill Polian yesterday represented well in the interview that he did, um, for the people like me, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I aspired to be an Art McNally. Um, Jerry Seaman aspired to be an Art McNally. Larry Upson did, Dean Blandino did, Carl Johnson did, Al Riveron did, Walt Anderson is doing. I mean, he's the gold standard. He was the gold standard for officiating. And, and <laughs> nobody will come near having the, the, uh, the impact that he had on the game just from his length of time running the program. I mean, I, Jerry Seaman did it for 10 years. Um, I was there for 12, led it for nine. And let me tell you, it's the hardest job in the world that I could, that I've ever thought of having to do with all the stuff that you have to um, endure and face. Uh, it, it's, it's incredibly tough. And so I, I, I just, you know, for those of you that pushed for him um, and got him to wear he was supposed to be Art McNally. Mark, Art McNally's not a man that's short on words. When he got the call from David Bates yesterday, all he could say was, "It's a stunner," and um, yeah, and, right. and, and, and I, it's just it's just incredible. Well, Mike, I mentioned there are no on the field officials in Canton, and that's true. Um, but people say, well, Hugh Shorty Ray was involved in officiating, and he was inducted in nineteen ninety in nineteen sixty six, and that's true also. But he wasn't an on-the-field official, and he's kind of de a de facto supervisor right. uh, in the league office. But he wasn't a game official. 
Why do you think it took so long to get one into Canton as a finalist? Well, because honestly, there's nothing positive that comes out of officiating. I mean, it's just the way it is. I mean, pretty much everything that an official does is negative. I mean, they throw a yellow flag signifying that somebody fouled. And even if they're right, it's still they, they pointed out something negative. And, and I think it's even hard. Look, I understand sometimes you don't even get support from within your own organization, like, I'm, like the NFL, for example, um, because nobody calls the commissioner and says, hey, you guys are doing, your officials are doing a great job. No owner calls and says that. Um, you know, they will call and scream bloody murder. And it's also a part of the National Football League that doesn't raise any money. I mean, I remember one time Roger Goodell, you know, told me that I had to cut my budget and, um, you know, and, and he said, you're not a revenue generating, you know, part of the National Football League. And I, I remember telling him, Roger, that's a bold faced lie. Um, just last year, I sold two rule books at $15 a piece and $30 to the National Football League. So don't tell me that I don't bring any money into it. But it's just, it's, you know, the whole thing when you think about officiating, I mean, what's the, what's the standard? What do you try to do? I mean, what's the goal of the league? The goal of the league is to have people not talking about you. Yeah, right. the end of the game... The goal of the end of the game, the goal of the officials is not to pick up the newspaper and say, hey, Ed Hockley and his crew did a great job in this game. The goal is that you're not even mentioned. And and I think that's basically the way it is. Look, at you could go beyond art. I mean, look at the, the names that have had such an effect on the game. The Markwrights, the Tundies, the Cashins, the Hockleys, and, the, the, and of course, I'm just naming referees. Yeah, juries. I mean, they have been such a huge part of this game, but yet you're under the radar. You're not written about. And so I I think that was has just made it hard. Mike, talk about uh, the evolution of some of these rules, Mike, in particular. I'm always fascinated that balancing act, Mike, the balance, you know, protecting the safety of the players and maintaining the physicality of a physical sport. Mike, it's brutal. Um, a lot of fans think uh, they've tilted one way or another, uh, particularly about, um, you know, safeguarding quarterbacks. Uh, Mike, what, what, how hard is that balancing act? It's a, it's a very difficult balancing act. And it's one, you know, people have their opinions on Roger Goodell. Um, you know, the one thing that I will say about him, he is committed to protect the players. And he is the driver of many of these rule changes that go to protect either the quarterback or other players. Um, it, it's kind of hard from an official standpoint because now you're officiating things that you didn't used to when it comes to, you know, hits on defenseless players or the illegal use of helmet. Um, it, it's that that's a difficult balancing act and you want to keep the game physical, but you can, I mean, you can still keep it physical by taking the head out of the game. And I, I applaud them for that. Look, Ira, I've always felt like this. I was kind of one of those, oh, gee, here we go, another player safety change we're going to have. Um, but, you know, the thing is, this league gets followed. It gets followed by high school football, college football, peewee football. And, and I think the league has an obligation to make the game as safe as they possibly can. 
and they're not going to let up. And I think that's evidenced by this year when they looked at a over 30% increase in knee injuries in the last five years. What did they do? They basically prohibited all low blocks outside of what's called the tight end zone, tight end to tight end, five yards on either side of the line of scrimmage, all low blocks, because now they want to work on trying to get the knee injuries and leg injuries cut down. So it's a commitment to safety, but you can't tell me that it has ruined the game. Um, if you just look at the numbers of the numbers that, of the people that are that uh, are watching the game and the interest in the game, uh, it, it hasn't hurt it. And let's face it. I mean, let's just face it. I mean, the game's better when you have your starting quarterback in the game. Um, the game's not as good when you have your backup quarter in quarterback in the game. And that's the same thing with your defensive players. Look at San Francisco last year when they lost Bosa. They lost all those guys in the line of scrimmage in New York. And they were not the same team. So it's I understand it's a part of the game. But I, I do think it's important, as the league has done, Ira, to try to make it as safe as possible without taking away the aggressiveness. And, um, and I, I just look back over in my time from like 1994, when they really kind of expanded on the rules to protect the quarterbacks and stuff. I, I, think, I think it's a better game. And I think, you know, players, you can't really tell right now because we have to probably wait for 20 years when we test players to see if they're better, if they're in better shape 20 years after they quit playing than they were if they were playing. So it's gonna take some time to judge the result but I'm telling you, peewee football is a safer game. And I'm telling you, high school football is a safer game. And college football, with their targeting rule, like it or not, it's a safer game. And the NFL, to me, is clearly a safer game than it was in 1996 when I was on the field seeing guys blow up each other legally. And um, so I, I, I'm for the changes. Mike, uh, talk about the bane of officiating. You know it and I know it. Pass interference, we can't get around it. It's the game changer. It's the big one. Um, it changes the tempo of a game. It decides games. And, and Mike, how, how difficult is it to officiate pass interference? Well, Ira, it's impossible, I think, um, because it's the one play that you have where everyone's on the move. The defender, the offensive player, the ball is in the air. The official is, is downfield, is in all, in most cases, moving down the sideline. It, it's, is the ball arrived? Has it not arrived? Is the contact, does it significantly hinder the ability of the receiver to make the catch? And then if you're an official, I'm telling you, Ira, you know that if it happens 40 yards downfield, if you make a mistake, it's a 40-yard mistake. It throws another level in my mind. It throws another level of pressure on the back of the officials. And, you know, I just, because of that, and I would say back in my times in the office when I was evaluating the games, I'd like cringe when there was a 45 yard pass interference penalty. And then I reviewed it and saw that the call was incorrect. And so a team got a freebie for 45 yards. Um, so for all of those reasons, I'm an advocate of the college rule. Um, I always have been an advocate of the college rule. 
Um, I went to the competition committee numerous times and said, I would like to review this. And, and I got shut down faster than most officials got shut down over time when it came to the Hall of Fame. Um, because the, the committee was always concerned about uh, taking away the deep vertical passing game. And I would say, you're not going to take it away. And they said, well, they'll just tackle guys. I said, hey, wait, do you watch football on Saturdays in college football? If you're <laughs> old enough to commit pass interference, you're trying to make a play. And I'll even give you. I'll give you, if you tackle the player downfield, then we'll make that one a spot foul if it's a deliberate act. And um, I got nowhere. And somebody told me, if I, and I've always said this over time, um, if somebody made you commissioner for the day, which I don't want to be, yeah. unless I got one 365th of Roger Goodell's salary. <laughs> um, if I was commissioner of the day and I could do whatever I want, I read that's the one rule. Um, I would change. I just think it's so hard to officiate. And I think it's so unfair to think that somebody can pull on a guy's jersey just before the ball gets there. And it could be a 45-yard penalty. But somebody could throw an elbow into the head of a player and it's a maximum 15. And an offensive, you commit offensive pass interference and a 10-yard penalty and no loss of down. And I don't buy it. Don't buy it. Mike, I thought you already did get one 365th of Roger Goodell's salary. No, I got I got one 365th of three of one 365th of Roger. <laughs> <laughs> We're speaking with Fox Rules analyst Mike Pereira, a longtime friend of ours and former head of officiating of the NFL. And Mike, I want to go back to Art for a minute. Um, you know, everyone talks about his integrity, and I mean this. You know it as well as I. Every person you talk to uses that word, integrity. Do you have an example of Art McNally's integrity? Well, I mean, he was actually gone before I started working. But all I had to do is, um, is have him in the office and listen to him and watch him. You know, the thing is, like, to me, Clark, is that all of us, whether it's the administrative side or the officiating side, asked him for advice. And he just like was so passionate that no matter what you seem to ask him, his veins would kind of pop up on his neck and he'd look right at you and he would give you the God's honest truth. Um, he never beat around the bush about anything. He reminds me a bit about the dealings like dealings I had with Bill Belichick where, you know, they were never long discussions, but they were frank discussions. And um, and and he would he would tell me exactly what he thought without trying to work me, which many many coaches used to try to do. And Art, I mean, if you go back to the people that worked, you know, that were worked under him a long time ago, and again, not even just on the field officials, but people people in the office. You know, when you hear what Tagliabue says, when you hear what Jim Steig says. He was just a man that was always good on his word. I mean, the man never went back on his word. And, um, and you know, when he worked in 1986 with Tex to uh, get the first implementation of replay in, um, yeah. you know, he worked hard on that thing and recognized some flaws. And then they had to finally pull it off in about five years because it just got to be a little bit too cumbersome. But he would, I mean, even when I would send him 
I mean, I would send him to games and I'd send him all the way out to Oakland, you know, when I first got involved. And I remember one time an Oakland Raiders executive came up behind them and kind of hit him in the back because they were upset uh, about a call that didn't go the Raiders way, which most of them didn't. Um, <laughs> and, and he like never, he never like came back to the office and was upset or wanted to do something, you know, about it. I, he, never, never. He just was, he did. I, there's none like him. I mean, there's none like yeah. him. I don't know. You look back and you think, what creates a man like that? What creates a, a man that his convictions are that strong? And what about him growing up? I mean, is it his parents, the Marines? Um, mm -hmm. I just don't think, it's like my father-in-law who's uh, approaching 101 years old and who spent oh. 16 months in Stalag 17 after getting shot down in his first flight as a tail gunner. The man, my father-in-law, never complains, ever. He's still living at home, still shaking dice every day and has some of my money when I go see him. Um, but he's part of the greatest generation. And I think Art McNally is emblematic of that generation. And uh, he, I, I just... I just don't know of anybody that could say a bad word about him. I mean, there are people that can say bad words about Jerry Seaman. There's people that can say bad words about Al Riveron. There's a lots of people that can say bad things about me, but there's nothing that I ever hear or anybody could say about art. Mike, what do you think his greatest accomplishment was? You mentioned the introduction of replay and you're absolutely right. 86 to 91. And then they brought it back in 99. Um, but without him, it, it's not appearing in 86. I know he and Tex worked on it. And you think about that because every major pro sports league today is using it. Major League Baseball finally went to it in 2014, nearly three decades after Art McNally introduced it. So what do you think his greatest accomplishment is? Well, I, I just think it's the order that he brought to officiating and the evaluation mm -hmm. he brought to officiating. I mean, it really hadn't been up until his time. The officials weren't really evaluated. And, uh, and Art used to tell me, he said, hey, I'd put a sheet up on the wall and I'd have my eight millimeter film and, you know, and, and, and would break down games by doing that. And by doing that, he, had, he earned the respect of the officials and, and the mechanics that he set up after watching all this video from an officiating standpoint, which had to go through several you know, adaptive stages because they kept adding officials over time. But, you know, when you look back at it, I think that's the biggest thing from the officiating standpoint is the order that he brought out of chaos and, mm -hmm. and the respect that he brought in the eyes of the officials. Hell, there were, there, there was times early on when, you know, guys like Sid Seaman, who was a headlinesman, you know, many years ago and who passed away, but, they came to Sid and said, they want you to, you know, the, the National Football League would love to have you work for the NFL. And he's like, why would I want to do that? I'm, I'm working here in the Pac-8, um, you know, and I get as much or more money in the Pac-8 than I would getting, you know, going to the NFL. And Art turned that whole thing around. I mean, he, he really did. Now, he didn't work with the union at that point, the officials didn't have a union. So it really put a, even more on art to get them the respect that they deserved. 
But to me, the way that he set up the mechanics and the way that he set up the evaluation, sure. I mean, the technology today is like totally different than it was back in Art's time, but it's evaluation. It's still evaluation. Yep. And, and yep. Art, to me, deserves all the credit for that. Mike, last two for me. Thanks so much for your time, buddy. Um, Mike, in, in your current occupation, how difficult is it? Look, you formed a lot of attachments in the officiating world, but your job is to speak your mind. And that's why you're getting paid. So, Mike, how difficult is it for you to go on camera before millions of people and say, I think that guy got it wrong? I don't think it's difficult at all. Um, you know, I think the officials, when I took this job, were concerned. You know, what was I going to say? Was I going to be a, a typical attack media person? Um, and which was never my intent. My intent was to educate, not necessarily to criticize. And I told them that when I left, I would never use words like blown, horrible, awful. Um, I would use terms that say, for example, incorrect. I think the call's incorrect and I here's why, and I would explain it. And I think the officials accepted it. Nobody necessarily likes to be criticized, but the one thing that officials don't like, and I know this firsthand, you don't want to be criticized by somebody who's never done what you're doing, um, by someone who doesn't know how difficult it is, who's someone who hasn't done it before and doesn't know the rules and is often wrong when it comes to this. And, and I, I mean, my short time on the field, I felt the same way. My long time on the field in college, I felt the same way. So they're less um, concerned with criticism that comes from us as long as we don't make it pointed because they know we've done it. I mean, they know we know how hard it is to do. So they'd much rather be criticized by me than they would be by Troy Aikman. I mean, and so there's times Troy starts to go down a path of disagreeing when he shouldn't. And at least now I'm able to say, Troy, no, right in his ear and say, it is the right call for this reason. And it's wonderful to Troy to, uh, Troy to accept the fact that I'm coming from a basis of knowledge that he doesn't have and to kind of change midstream. Say, oh yeah, actually that is a good pass interference call. It's a hook and turn, and he does hook him before the ball gets there. And um, so it's uh, it, it's something that I think the officials have come to not only accept but I think appreciate. Mike, last one for me. Mike, we're not naive. You know, gambling's always been around, uh, always will be, Mike. But it, it's creeping in. It's it's creeping in. Uh, you know, officially now with the league in, in, in some ways. Um, Mike, uh, it's a sensitive one, but I'm going to ask you, do you have any concerns about officiating as a whole regarding gamblers trying to reach out? Uh, maybe this is the way to get their hooks in. Any concerns in that regard? Um, no. And, and I'll tell you why no. Um, when the NBA went through their situation, um, which was an ugly situation with Donaghy, um, Roger Goodell came to me and said, okay, the good news is it didn't happen to us. But he said, let's pretend it did. 
And so what can we do to ensure that this doesn't happen to us? And there's ways to do that. I mean, certainly in this day with security, the way that it is, um, you know, you can track anybody just about anywhere they go. And we looked at where are our flaws? Well, we had a flaw in the fact that we were releasing the entire schedule, entire 16 game schedule to the officiating crews. We, we were doing it all at once um, at the beginning of the year. So the officials in the first week of September knew they were gonna be in week 16 in December. And we thought, okay, more time. That's more time if gamblers were to try to get a hook into a guy, more time for them to maybe get their hooks in for that week 16 game. So we stopped doing that and we started giving assignments just out one week at a time with only three weeks advance notice. We increased the number of background checks. We weren't, we were doing background checks um, once every like three years and we said not acceptable. Um, we're gonna have to go to yearly background checks and checking into the officials financial situation and all that kind of stuff. And I also think that, you know, I, I think the officials, it's a little bit different in football than it is in other sports because most often they have another job. I mean, these are successful guys who, if you want to say they're officiating on the side, I guess you could say they're officiating on the side. And I like that. I mean, I like that because it allowed us to recruit professionals in their own right. Um, in all different kinds of industries, you know, who had worked hard under pressure and, and survived that. And I felt that was an added benefit for them getting into the NFL. And so there's even more at risk because they weren't paid that much and they aren't paid that much compared to players and that type of thing. But there's more of a risk, you know, to me to do anything um, that could get them to where they would get let go. And I, I listen, I had to let guys go. You know, I had to let guys go for selling their Super Bowl tickets, um, put them online and they would get sold. Zero toleration from the league. And so we would dump them immediately if that happened. So I, I think that the, you know, that the, the way that they are kind of monitored now, and I know it's different. I mean, still in their CBA, you can't go into a casino in Las Vegas or Atlantic City or Reno or almost now anywhere. It's kind of ironic since we'll probably end up with a Super Bowl in Las Vegas someday. But um, the fear of God is in those guys. Um, this, is, this is a labor of love for them. And when they last had the lockout situation, um, the, the thing is, at some point, they were all sitting back there going, this is the thing I love. This is the, this is the one thing I do that I really love. And, and now I'm sitting and sitting here and lock out in a, you know, in a negotiation over money. And uh, eventually it got solved, which made everybody happy. But I, I just, I just don't see it. You certainly can't say never. Um, because of what happened in the NBA. But I think it's, I think it was a wake up call to all sports. I mean, it's in this country, uh, worldwide in soccer, maybe a different story. But um, in this country, I just, I don't see it happen in any of the, any of the professional sports. Mike, I'm going to bring this conversation full circle with one last question. Uh, we started out 
Could you talk in about the response of officials in general to Art McNally's selection as the contributor candidate for the class of 2020? A, is there any particular response from an individual that you recall that was noteworthy? And B, if and when Art McNally is inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, is there are there any plans for a celebration by officials in general? And what do you think the turnout at Canton would be like? Listen, um, let's talk about the turnout. I have seen far less things that uh, that officials turn out to support their brethren. Far less awards that they that they go to, whether it be a National Association of Sports Officials Gold Whistle Award. Um, I, I think that it's going to be this is going to be, and there'll be there's going to be an incredible turnout, just incredible turnout. You know, I was there in um, this past Hall of Fame and a game, and I went to Paul Tagliabue's one of his dinners that he had um, the night before, and you know, I mean, the NFLRA, uh, the Referees Association. And I hope the NFL will get involved and put on a dinner like this. And hopefully, hopefully Art will be there. I mean, we, we all mm -hmm. hope he will be there. He's 96, for God's sakes. And he's put some hard miles on those 96 years. But <laughs> I, I hope that he will be there. But I have a feeling that even if he isn't, that a bunch of us will turn on. And um, it's just, it's... It, it's, it's a monumental day. It's a monumental day. And, you know, who did I first reach out to after I got the word? I reached out to Dean Blandino because he's kind mm -hmm. of my contemporary. And he was a pusher also. And, you know, Dean Blandino, you think he's a shy guy, but he ain't never short of words. And um, when I told him that Art got selected as a finalist in the, you know, in the contributor uh, award, he was like, he, he was like quiet because I think, as I said before, we all tried to be him. We all tried to be him and we all failed, quite frankly. And we all know that we'll never get that recognition and that we don't deserve that recognition. Um, so for us, and I'm just talking about administratively here, for us to have one of us, a guy that endured the situations and problems like we had to do for one of us, one of the administrators, one of the supervisor of officials, for, for one of us to get in the hall, it was like, okay, you, you kind of think in a way, let's put the officiating side of it apart. I mean, in some ways you think, okay, finally there's some recognition as to how hard our job was and is and, yeah. and the, the hours that we toiled dealing with the coaches and dealing with the officials and dealing with the media and dealing with our commissioner and dealing with all the giants and jet fans that work in the office in new york who blamed every loss they had on us <laughs> one of us one of us got in to the hall and so uh it's it, it's just it's very emotional Mike Ferreira, thanks so much for the time. Always a pleasure. Really enjoy the visit. And Ira, you and I are going to be looking for him this weekend at Fox's College Football Telecast. And Mike, we'll be grading you.
Oh, no, just don't use harsh terms like I blew that one or that was horrible. Just you, if you could just say, <laughs> look, I understand why you said what you said, but you're just wrong. Just go. You ahead. were incorrect, Mike. You, you were incorrect. incorrect. You were Thank incorrect. You. <laughs> Thank That's right. <laughs> Thanks as always, Mike. You Thanks, guys. Mike. See you guys. That was Fox Rules Analyst Mike Ferreira and Ira. You can really feel the emotional tie to Art McNally when he speaks. And I do know it, it comes straight from the heart. I've known Mike for years. We lived in the same neighborhood for years. And, and I did speak to him shortly after his nomination. He was moved by it, and you can tell. Clark, we've done a lot of shows, Clark. That, that might be in the top five. That might be in the top five. Yeah, Mike's always good. Um, anyway, I really enjoyed listening to him and, and hearing his thoughts on Art McNally, who is a most worthy candidate for Canton. Um, final thoughts, Ira? You got any this week? Well, my final thoughts are, um, I believe the over-under on the number of stories Clark Judge can write off that podcast <laughs> is about seven. I got it at seven. <laughs> It sounds like you're going back to gambling again. The over-under. Ian, what are you taking? The over or the under? What are you taking? I don't like the gamble, but I'll take the over. <laughs> uh, anyway, I've got a final thought, and it has nothing to do with gambling. I'd like to congratulate the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens on an undefeated preseason. Yeah, so what? Well, you want to talk about dynasties? How about preseason dynasties? The Ravens won their last 20 preseason games. That's a streak that goes back to 2015 and surpasses the Green Bay Packers of Vince Lombardi's era previous record. And that was set from 1959-1963. So congratulations to John Harbaugh and the Ravens. And Ian, just wondering, what, what's a suitable award that we could give them? Tickets to a Buck Super Bowl? Maybe an uh, autographed photo of Tom Brady? How about an autographed photo of Ira? How about that? <laughs> what do you want to do? Maybe we can raise a banner just like the Colts did that one year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Clark, what about an award made of Fusilli? Remember Fusilli Jerry in, uh, in Seinfeld? <laughs> let's give a, let's oh. make it of a Fusilli. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We'll end it with that, Ira. That's going to do it. That's going to do it. Thoroughly enjoyed this. Ira, tell our listeners. I hope they enjoyed it as much. Tell this is where they can find you on Twitter. At iKaufman76, and I, I'd like to thank Mike Pereira once again for, uh, for one heck of a, uh, uh, a rollicking uh, podcast, uh, Clark. And, and I'd like to thank our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon. And uh, Ian, you can tell our listeners where they can find you as well. Uh, at the Seminole Hard Rock. Oh, <laughs> you meant on Twitter. <laughs> no, uh, on Twitter. No, on Twitter. <laughs> okay, okay. That would be at IGLEN31. Okay. And I'm at, at Clark Judge, T-O-F. And, and I would suggest get in touch with us because I'll be honest with you guys. I, I hear from Rick Gudikins, who's no relation to Brian, the, the Green Bay Packers general manager, but Rick Gudikins, who lives in Phoenix all the time, and Nate in Florida all the time on Twitter about our podcast. They listen. So it does work. But you know what? If, if we're not going to hear from you, you're going to hear from us next week at this very address. Are where are they going to catch us? They're going to catch us on the eye test for two, Clark. You are correct. Not incorrect, Ara. You are correct, as always. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening.